Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. We have filling in for Aaron Dugan today, the great Stephen Lassen. Stephen, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Braden. As always, it is wonderful to be talking to you. I am hard at work on the Athlon Sports College Football Magazine. So I guess the best way to say it is, hey, the offseason never stops here uh, in my world. And I'm glad to talk about some of these things that are going on in the world of college football with you. No, today is all about returning starters and experience in this conference, sort of setting a, a, a benchmark in February for where this league could be. And, and I think we've talked about this. We've alluded to this with the quarterback situation. This is going to be a very different conference in 2023 than it was in 2022. Doesn't change the fact that Bama and Georgia might still be the best two teams or LSU, Tennessee, Bama and Georgia might be the best four. But there are there are, there's lots of or, or I should say lack of returning production uh, in this conference, with the exception of a few teams across the board. Lots of changes at coordinator, lots of changes at quarterback. So we're going to set the bar early heading into spring practice with you. You're working on the magazine at Athlon Sports. So returning starters, returning production for all 14 teams. We've got them ranked 1 to 14, and we're going to go through all 14 of them today on the show. And, oh, by the way, we have a State of the Union from Steve with Steve Robertson, of course, from 24-7 Sports covering the Mississippi State Bulldogs. I think, like Missouri last week, one of the most interesting teams this offseason for a variety of reasons, obviously, with the tragedy um, and, and Mike Leach last year being a very big part of that conversation. Maybe uh, the gonna... most, I would make the argument they might be the most interesting team Ooh. in the SEC because of all of the changes, a new coach stepping into uh, what's traditionally been a very difficult job. And also, like, are they running the air raid? What are they doing? So I'm looking yeah. forward to that interview just to kind of get a better sense of uh, <laughs> where Mississippi State is this offseason. So Steve Robertson coming up a little bit later on. We will have a giveaway here momentarily in just a second. I promised you guys a giveaway last last week but you have to be sort of a, a listener of the show it's a trivia question about the show not about sec football uh so we'll do that here in in just a second um so i i want to point one one topic though one story because this just broke um from i think al.com brandon miller who is a top five pick in the nba draft projected the number one small forward um uh, in the draft in the nba coming up he's the uh, first team all-american on what is w- the number one or two or three best teams in college basketball at Alabama. And if you are not a fan of college basketball, I just want to quickly explain what this story is sort of like. Now, there was a, a guy who was not playing a lot of minutes. Um, I think uh, Miles is his last name, who was charged with a murder at, in Tuscaloosa, the shooting of a young woman. Uh, it came out, I believe, on Tuesday that Brandon Miller, again, first team All-American, top five lottery pick, brought the gun to the scene of the crime to his teammate who then used it to allegedly murder someone. And in that story, Brandon Miller's car is one of two cars blocking the victim's Jeep from leaving the scene while his teammate opens fire into the vehicle, eventually killing a young woman. It's batshit crazy, Stephen, the entire story. Nate Oates, the head coach, is like, oh, wrong place, wrong time. That seems a little off base. But for those that don't love a little, that seems like a lot off base. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, good point. But for those that don't, we're not going to talk about this for very long, but I just want to point out, like for those that don't love college basketball and don't follow it as closely, this is a college football show. This would be like Bryce Young being like involved in a murder. Bryce Young bringing a gun to a teammate who then used it to allegedly kill someone and also used his car to like stop the victim from leaving. Like it is. This is. 
this is bonkers, batshit, crazy type of stuff, Stephen. It's insane. Yeah, it's it's bonkers, and and not to mention, I think Nate Oates's comments are just completely like tone deaf and just like insanity on, on a stupid level. I mean, yeah. just to to make to minimize that, uh, you know, one of your players was involved in a very serious um, incident. So there's, I don't see how you can minimize anything if you're Nate Oates at this point. But you know, we'll see where this goes. But in just in general, it's one of the craziest stories that I think I can remember. Uh, you know, I don't follow basketball as probably as close as you do, but just. On the edge, it's one of the craziest yeah. stories I can remember in some time. And, and I and I am not ignorant to think that we all come from the same place and the same background and the same experiences and the same lifestyles. That that would be stupid and ignorant for all of us to think that we all come through life and into college from the same place with the same experiences and the same sort of you know w- whatever vision of of what the world is is looks like. But like, if you are a lottery pick. You should have people around you and your own mind and your friends to do everything in your power to protect you from doing stupid shit. And because you have a lottery ticket from God to change the fortune of your family's life forever. And I hope like I hope that that is what people learn from this type of stuff. You know, like, again, just if you are a five star recruit who is going to go play football and you have. I would start putting this in NIL contracts like disciplinary stuff is going to start coming up in NIL contracts. Right. Like I like you can't. Be an, yeah, you, you can't be an endorser of a charity and be like busted for X, Y or Z. And I'm not suggesting college kids are, you know, don't do you know stupid things and you know smoke weed and get in car accidents. Like I'm not saying stuff doesn't happen, but this is different. Like <laughs> this is so different. Yeah, it's it's not a run of the mill like you know, violation of being late to practice or like you said, I mean, you know, minor offenses or anything. We're talking about like capital murder here um, in Alabama, just, you know, what is it a few months ago? So, I mean, this is pretty, pretty serious. I should note that all this is just allegations at this point. It's working its way through legal and the court system, but still, I mean, just one of the craziest stories. And then one of the craziest, you know, tone deaf responses uh, by a head coach that I can remember in some time. Um, all right, I don't know how I'm supposed to transition into like returning starters in the SEC or here we're going to give away a hat. Um, but that is going to be the show today. Steve Robertson going to join us a little bit later on covering Mississippi. A lot State. of Steves on this show yes, today, sure, Braden. True, Stephen Lassen <laughs> at Athlon Stephen, uh, AthlonSports.com, of course. The magazine coming out, so pre-order, buy it, all that good stuff. Um, but shout out to our boys uh, that have been partners and friends for a while. University Traditions. They've been making these hats uh, for college football fans for a long time. We're going to give one away today on the show. Um, I'll show if you're watching on the YouTube's. The only way you can see these is on the YouTube's. There's there's a nice one right there. There's a cool one right there. You got uh, there's another. This is really good podcasting. There's another cool one right there. We got some. There's a, a, an Ole Miss one, a Georgia one. Both of those are sharp right now. I love those. Yeah, the Florida? Florida one. Florida one. Yeah. Yeah. I like the color and I like the kind of the old school feel of it. Look, the state of Florida looks like a flaccid penis. It's just what it is. Okay. <laughs> it looks like an old flaccid penis. Obje- I've never heard that before, but ob- objectively, the state of Tennessee is the best shaped state in the SEC. Objectively. Uh, for example, here is a Tennessee one and a Vandy one. There's one right there. So here's the question. And first person to either tag this, timestamp it in the YouTube comments or tweet me at Braden Gall. Um, look, there's an Arkansas one. Pretty cool. Um, uh, Arkansas is a good state shape, by the way. It's not bad. It's not bad. I like Louisiana as a shape. Yeah. Texas, Texas is a good shape. 
Uh, Oklahoma George, now too. I mean, Oklahoma's a little weird, but um, it is, right. You know, uh, so <laughs> here's the deal. Um, there was a a pseudo producer on this show, uh, Aaron's brother. If you can tell me his name or any of his nicknames and timestamp it on Twitter at Braden Gall or in the YouTube comments, the first one who gets it right will get one of these university tradition hats. So there you go. University tradition hats. Go check them out. They're awesome. All the all the uh, the college teams across the country. You've got to be careful. Trademark stuff here. <laughs> um, but they've got really cool stuff for SEC fans. So go check out their gear. I've been I, like I, I get stopped all the time wearing the hat. Um, I, I wear this one right here all the time and I get stopped all the time by people saying, man, where'd you get that hat? And I'm like university traditions, baby. So, uh, go check it out. They're, they're awesome. They're awesome folks down there that doing good work. So, okay. Uh, Steve Robertson coming up later on, Let, let's go through one through 14 most experienced teams. And, and I don't know if you've got any overlying overarching themes that you learn from this process, but I think number one is just how inexperienced this conference is going to be. Um, however, not necessarily. I actually have a big picture thought on returning okay. stars in production I'd like to offer up for you. I, I don't know how maybe you disagree with me. We did this, we've always done this exercise at Athlon. And I think maybe six or seven years ago, like returning starter data probably meant a little bit more. I actually think in the transfer portal era, you know, I look at the data, it's interesting, it's important to me. I use it as sort of a baseline. But in the portal era, we look at like last year, LSU only had, I think, six returning starters and they won the SEC West because of the transfer portal. So I think it, you know, this data is important, especially when it comes to returning starters. It just gives us a nice starting point. But more than ever, I think you have to almost look at the losses and look at the, the next wave that's coming in. In the past, I think it told us probably a little more of a detailed story about the team. I'm not sure that's true uh, now. I don't know how you feel about that, but well, I think my opinion has maybe changed a little bit on the importance of them. No, it's a, it's a piece of it, and it's why we're going to combine Bill Connolly's returning production, which does include portal transfers. We're going to combine that with returning starters today to try to give you a sense of who the most experienced teams are coming back in the SEC, ranked in order, in our opinion, 1-14. to 14. But I agree with you in general. I, I think that's apt, totally accurate. Um, I, I mean, Georgia, 15 draft picks, six first-round picks off the defense, and still had like the best defense in America. So so like, it's not even just that you're losing starters and, and, and have portal transfers. It's who's stockpiled talent behind those starters that matters as well. And again, like Kentucky has eight starters on offense at the most of anybody in the SEC. That does not include what could be the best quarterback in the conference, Devin Leary, who is a transfer from NC State. So we're going to try to combine all these things for you guys and give you a look at it. Let's start with number one, which this is going to get a lot of people in trouble in the preseason, either because they're going to overachieve because we pick them too low or we're going to pick them too high again and be wrong again. I don't know which one, but number one with a bullet. And there's kind of two teams on this top tier. Number one, Texas A&M, seven starters on offense, eight starters on defense. They obviously add Bobby Petrino, 15 total starters, the most in the SEC. They are also Bill Connolly's number one team in, in the SEC, seventh nationally um, when it comes to returning production, 80% returning production. They're the number one offense in terms of returning production in the SEC and the number two defense in returning production in the SEC. Texas A&M, Stephen, that's going to get us in some trouble this preseason. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because I, I was going through the Big 12 returning starters and I came across Texas and I texted a friend of mine saying, man, I'm really going to, I might 
I'm talking myself into buying Texas this year. And here I am. I did the same thing with Texas A&M because for some of the reasons that you mentioned, there's a lot coming back on both sides of the ball from a roster that was young last season. You talk about guys like Evan Stewart, not to mention Connor Wigman stepping in at quarterback for part of the season. Uh, Bobby Petrino working with him. Ruben Owens coming in at running back to replace A-Chain. Some of the guys they had along the offensive line, like Bryce Foster, missed most of the season. So you could easily see how this returning production and returning starters builds the offseason hype for Texas A&M. So I am buying that A&M uh, will be better. I don't know how much, but I do buy that this will be a better team in 2023. Oh, I I totally agree. But again, you can't have the, the number one greatest recruiting class in the history of the world, even if some guys left in the portal and not have it eventually show up on the field. Like it's going to eventually do that, especially along the defensive front. Um, I, I mean, I, I think they found their guy in Connor Wigman. I think with Bobby Petrino there, you know, I think in the short term, at least this is going to be a significantly better football team. The question is how much do we all buy into it heading into media days? Like, are we going to, is this, are we all going to be at 10 and two and preseason number nine again, or are we going to, you know, have we learned our lesson or should we not learn our lesson? Like I, that's, what's tricky about A&M because, because Petrino changes the way I evaluate, like the old, like A&M's going to A&M. Like, I don't think that's the case if Petrino's around. Yeah. Also, we should note that Anaya Smith coming back is a big yeah. deal, too. Like, suddenly they have one of the best receiving cores coming back next year in the SEC. And, and you're right about that. Petrino completely changes the conversation for me offensively. Like, you add him developing Connor Wigman with some of the pieces they have back along the offensive line or receiver. Like, this could be a much improved team. Yeah. Also, I'll bring up something that you and I talked about you know, a few weeks ago, which is when you look at the West, Alabama, LSU, and you can throw all the other teams kind of into a, a cluster because I don't think there's a ton that separates them. I think Auburn's going to be better, and we'll see what happens at Mississippi State. But A&M could just be better, and some of these other teams could just be about the same as they were last year, and that might yep. get them to like an 8-4 and four type of range. Uh, number two on the list, kind of also with the bullet, is Missouri. Now, I mistakenly said this last week during our Missouri State of the Union that they were number one in, in terms of returning production by Bill Connolly, which, of course, Homer. But <laughs> they're actually number two behind AM. I missed AM at seven. But but Missouri has six returning starters on offense, eight on defense, 14 returning starters total. And that may not include what could be a, an interesting quarterback battle. Right now, it includes Brady Cook. It might be Sam Horn. Who knows? They're number nine in the nation uh, in terms of offensive returning production. Number two in the SEC at seventy-eight percent. They're also one. Of, they're the number one most in terms of production returning in the defense in the entire SEC. Ninth in the nation, eighty percent. Um, I, I think we talked about this a lot last week in our State of the Union. You know, Eli Drinkwitz has done a good job recruiting. He's done a good job managing the roster, and he's done a good job hiring people on his staff. He just sort of has to put it all together, find the quarterback, and find some consistency. Yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of urgency here. You know, I, I don't know that you know Drinkwitz is necessarily in the hot seat, but I do think if they go five and seven, six and six, like it might start to get a little warm. I think obviously finding the quarterback is like it's it's paramount to this offense and like getting things going. You know, Brady Cook, of course, he's out for the spring with you know shoulder surgery. 
that's a good time for Sam Horn, Jake Garcia yeah. to get acclimated under new offensive coordinator Kirby Moore. I think when you look at those numbers, I think if I was a Missouri fan, the biggest thing that would give me optimism is you had a, a defense last year that was way better than anybody thought going into the year. And they bring back most of that, you know, uh, Jeff Coat and McGuire, the two ends are gone, but the secondary is going to be one of the best in the SEC. So really for me, for all about Missouri, it hinges on offensive line, quarterback play because i think this defense will be good once again would you go with i i agree and um i think giving up play calling which was successful at times last year i think is going to be a big deal kind of like jimbo fisher like it, part of the reason i'm looking at those two teams is if they actually do give up play calling duties from the head coach i i feel more comfortable with a&m and missouri which they have in common in terms of their head coaches um i'm gonna go lsu at three i don't know if you just i don't think there's another team you know, that's more experienced. They might be one of only two teams in the entire league that return a starting quarterback and an offensive coordinator, which speaks to how much disruption on offense there is in this conference. But LSU has eight returning starters on offense, five on defense, 13 total, um, which is behind only uh, only Texas A&M, Missouri and Kentucky, actually. Um, they are 32nd in the nation in returning production. That's fifth in the SEC on off uh, in, in, in total. They're 10th in the country in offensive returning production, uh, although neighbors got arrested <laughs> with a weapon. <laughs> so uh, the receiver for LSU, like in Louisiana, didn't seem like anything really major happened, but 81% uh, returning production on offense, second in the SEC, 60% returning production on defense, not as good, middle of the pack. But if you notice these numbers that throughout the course of this conversation, there's not many teams in the SEC that are in that like top 30 or 35 nationally on offense or defense. LSU is one of them on offense. The defense is the the area where there's a bunch of questions, but 72nd in the nation, 7th in the SEC. I, I still think that makes LSU probably the third most experienced team heading into the spring. I agree with you. So I think, first of all, it's a completely different story from LSU last season to this year. We talked coming into last year how all the turnover, the uncertainty, they had, I think, six returning starters, and they ended up winning the SEC West. They have a much more experienced roster across the board. You mentioned Jaden Daniels, but he could even be pushed by Garrett Nussmeyer uh, this offseason with the way that Nussmeyer played some at the end of last year. Also, I think two reasons, I think, for optimism for LSU. Number one, the offensive line is better, and it's more experienced going into this season. You to take two true freshmen starting them at tackle and giving them a full year and now another offseason. They're going to be significantly better up front. And then the other thing is when you look at their defense, some of that production, don't forget that Mason Smith is coming back after missing basically all of last season due to injury. Um, I count him as a returning starter, even though he played in just one game. And some of the pieces that they brought in in the secondary, high-end talent, that should be able to step in and play a lot of snaps right away. They did the same formula last year. A lot of these guys coming in this year have multiple years of eligibility left, which is pretty key for 2024 and 2025 down the road. So I think LSU in a much better experience situation. They won the West last year. I think they're going to be in great shape once again this season. Yeah, it's that. It seems weird to even mention a quarterback battle with LSU, um, but I, I mean, Nussmeyer has the kind of skills, but I, I do think Jane Daniels is the guy, but um, we shall see. Again, Vanderbilt might be the only other team in the SEC that has a starting quarterback and coordinator return together in the conference. Daniels and, and Denbrock, we know, are the two that are coming back at LSU. Uh, we assume A.J. Swan and the coaching staff for, for Vanderbilt is is back, and, and so again, only two teams, really. Ole Miss who is number four on our list, 
um, may have a returning coordinator and quarterback because Jackson Dart is technically back, but I don't think he is the favorite to win the starting job. Ole Miss, number four on our list, eight returning starters on offense, five on defense. That's 13 total. They are 30th in the nation, according to Bill Connolly. That's fourth in the SEC in returning production, but 13th on offense. Some of that is Spencer Sanders bringing all that experience with him from Oklahoma State. So 13th on offense nationally. That's third in the SEC, 69th in the nation on defense. Nice. Uh, Sixth in the SEC. So obviously some questions on defense for Ole Miss, Stephen. Who figured? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, I think last year it's fair to say it was not nice uh, for Ole Miss on defense nice. because it it started well and it trended in the wrong direction uh, as the season went on October and November, which is why Pete Golding is now the defensive coordinator for Ole Miss. And, of course, they've been bringing in guys from the portal on both sides of the ball to, to help speed up the rebuilding process, much like Lane Kiffin has done uh, the last couple of years. When you look at this Ole Miss team on paper, I think some reasons to for optimism is, number one, you have a couple quarterbacks, whether it's Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, Walker Howard. You've got Quinshaw Judkins coming back, one of the nation's best running backs, experienced offensive line. I like what they did at receiver, too, um, bringing in some transfers. That's where they're losing some guys uh, to the NFL. So I think when you start studying this Ole Miss team, improved defensive coordinator they've brought in some guys to the portal who should help help at receiver options a quarterback there's a lot to like about where Ole Miss is uh despite some of the defensive uh losses and overall production last year I, I think they are in a better spot today at this time of this year than they were at this time last year and they still hit the over in terms of the Vegas win total and and rebounded from all the departures from from the Matt Corral year, the ten and two year, I think they're better set up this year than they were even than they were last year. Is that fair? I think that's fair. They did have some losses in the secondary, um, you know, late kind of in the portal process, and and I think that that made that's kind of clouding my view a little bit of the defense. I think if those guys were coming back considered kind of returning starters, they might be right. in a little better position. But I think to your point, you you improved big time at defensive coordinator by bringing in Pete Golding and if if Spencer Sanders beats out Jackson Dart that means he's just better and you're probably going to get more consistency at quarterback so I would probably buy that argument that they're in a better uh, spot going into this year number five on the list I have we've got the Kentucky Wildcats eight returning starters on offense which does not count Devin Leary six returning starters on defense that's 14 total in the conference second only to Texas A&M uh, 63% returning their 73rd in the nation. According to Bill Connolly, the eighth most productive team returning 48th on offense, seventh in the sec 86th in the nation on defense ninth in the sec. So why does that, why are they fifth? Well, again, this speaks to a, the lack of returning production across the entire conference. But I do think that there is some continuity with Mark Stoops and the two major pieces and the reasons that I put Kentucky ahead of a few other teams like Vanderbilt, Tennessee is that Devin Leary is a, is, is the the starting quarterback who may be the the first, second or third best quarterback in the entire conference. Didn't play on the team last year. Liam Cohen is a new piece technically, but he's also kind of a proven commodity at Kentucky as well as an offensive coordinator. So I think you put those two together and we've got Kentucky at number five. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is when you look at Kentucky, like they had two questions coming out of last year. Number one, it was quarterback play. The second one was going to be offensive line. And I think the offensive line is still a little bit of a mystery. We'll have to see how that group progresses. They brought in a couple transfers. Are they high-end impact guys? Or are they just guys that can be depth pieces? I think we'll still have to see. But Devin Leary automatically gives Kentucky one of the better quarterback situations 
in the SEC East. I mean, going into last season, he got hurt at NC State, but was considered probably a top 10 to 15 quarterback in the country. Love the receivers, too. I mean, you Robinson, Key, and Brown, this is one of the better uh, trios in the SEC. So they're really set up with Cohen coming back to be much improved on offense. And and honestly, when we get to Kentucky's defense, I just give Mark Stoops the benefit of the doubt. Like, I know they're losing some pieces, but you just think that they are going to figure this out. Again, ninth in the SEC in returning production on defense, according to Bill Connolly, but in 86 nationally, well, that doesn't sound like a lot, but there's a lot of teams in the 90s and in the top, in the outside of the top 100 in the SEC in terms of returning production on defense. So I tend to trust Mark Stoops there. Um, and then again, I think you package Leary and Cohen into an offense with eight returning starters. The offensive line has to be better than it was last year. Like it can't, it can't, I don't think it can get any worse, right? I would assume that it would be better. Now, <laughs> I I can I could make a case that maybe they didn't bring in enough high impact transfers yeah. like we talked about. Um, but at the same time, when you bring back at least, you know, four or five guys with starting experience plus a couple transfers, I think that's a formula that they should be better. Well, and I do think the top four, certainly the top two, AM and Missouri are the most experienced, in my opinion. I think LSU and Ole Miss are clearly three and four, but I do think this next group of teams, um, and this the, the conversation is going to include Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Auburn, Georgia, Kentucky. Like this group is all really, really tightly packed and very difficult to sort of pick out who's got more experience coming back. Uh, I have Vanderbilt next. We have got Vanderbilt next at number six. That's six returning starters on offense, seven on defense. That's 13 total, according to Athlon Sports. They're the sixth most experienced team, according to Bill Connolly, with 65% returning production. Actually, a top five offense in the SEC, according to Bill Connolly. Number five, 73%. That's 38th nationally. Uh, eighth in the in the conference in terms of returning production on defense. Uh, 56%, 56%, excuse me, 80. I, th this one is tricky because I think you could argue Georgia's talent or Auburn's defense or Tennessee's sort of offensive stability. I think you could argue those are more experienced than Vanderbilt, but I, I because they've got so many returning starters, and all the production coming back. There's a continuity play here Vander with Vanderbilt, and they were ahead of schedule last year, frankly. Yeah, they were they were much better on offense last year. It almost seems like hard to believe considering how bad they were, but yeah. they were better uh, last season. And I think if you're looking for reasons for optimism, it's, you know, they did lose Ray Davis. They still got to get better along the line of scrimmage, um, but they bring back Shepard. They bring back McGowan at receiver, and they have a, a quarterback in A.J. Swan who looked really good last year as a true freshman thrown into a pretty difficult spot. I think the numbers on defense, probably good news, bad news situation. I mean, you're bringing back a lot of guys, <laughs> uh, but you lost your best player and the defense wasn't hasn't been very good under Clark Lee and that's his side of the ball so I, I think there's there's a lot of pieces coming back which tells me they should be better but I think they are starting so far down that it, it may take another recruiting class or two for them to get the guys they need to kind of jump to middle of the pack in the SEC I mean is it enough for turning production to get to six wins yeah I think if, if Swan continues yeah. to develop I think there's a chance that they can do that okay all right um again major different strengths and weaknesses for all these teams. Uh, Tennessee at number seven. And this, again, 13 returning starters, seven on offense, six on defense. Uh, the seventh most returning production, according to Bill Connolly. Yet it's bizarre. The offense at 96th in the nation is 11th, according to Connolly, in returning production. But they're top five in the SEC in terms of returning production. On defense, I'm not sure I see all the horses there yet, but uh, this is... Because we trust sort of like stoops and defense, 
with Kentucky. We trust Josh Heifel to develop the offense. Joe Milton doesn't count as a returning starter, neither do some of the receivers, but we know they're going to be really good in the passing game. Um, so we've got Tennessee at number seven. Uh, again, I don't know what to make. I, I need to see more depth on the defense, I think. But I and I trust a lot on the offense, which is why I still think, despite being, you know, 96th in offensive returning production nationally, that I think we trust this team to be still one of the better teams in the SEC. Yeah, I'm I'm not worried about Tennessee's offense at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it may not be as prolific as it was in in 2022, and enough to beat um, Alabama, of course, but. I still think that it's going to be one of the better groups in the SEC. You just look at some of the weapons they have come back at receiver. We'll see if Joe Milton builds off the Orange Bowl performance. If not, they have the next guy appearing to come to the pipeline. I do think your point on defense is kind of where I need to see Tennessee take that big step forward. You know, I think they're adding some guys through recruiting, the depth, the talent levels going up. Um, but how fast can they get those guys into the mix and be playing at a high level. Because when you look across the board, they have losses at every level, whether it's uh, Young up front, Banks at linebacker, Flowers at safety. You know, they have some holes they're going to have to fill every level on defense. But overall, I just think they need more dudes and more difference makers on defense. But I'm not worried one bit about the offense. It, it can carry this team until this side of the ball is ready to step up too. I mean, again, top five in returning production on defense to a defense that is how good. I mean, that that's the question. We it just was don't. better last year, though. It, it was, but we don't know how good it is. We just we just don't. And they lost their best pass rusher, and and so there's still some questions on that side, uh, which is why I don't think I think you know I think Tennessee fans probably think, hey, we've got more coming back than Kentucky, or we've got more coming back than Vanderbilt, and they're probably a better team. But there's still some questions there. Again, uh, first person to send me the name of Aaron's brother in any of his nicknames will get himself a hat, her hat, herself a hat from University Traditions. Make sure you check that out. Um, number eight, Georgia on the list here. Six returning on offense, seven returning on defense, 13 total. They are number uh, 80 over. Here's here's the where we're getting to, like, just the conference as a whole. 80th overall in returning production, ninth in the SEC. So that means that more than basically half the league is – you know, not even in the top 50 in terms of returning production nationally. Uh, 109 in offense, just like Tennessee, very, very low, 13th in the conference. But this is this is what's terrifying to me if I'm a fan of any other team in the SEC. <laughs> Seven returning starters on defense, fourth according to Bill Connolly in returning production, 42nd nationally on defense. So Georgia's strength this year is going to be on defense. So. Yeah. There's that. Not great for the rest of the SEC, is it? I mean, I, I when you look at these numbers and you're seeing 109 on offense and you think, well, maybe there's reason to be concerned. There's no reason to be concerned here <laughs> for Georgia. I mean, you, you look, they, their biggest weakness on paper last year was, well, they didn't make enough plays downfield. Well, they just brought in Dominic Lovett, Ra-Ra Thomas, uh, a receiver. That's a, a need that was filled. They have, we know Georgia just develops running backs year after year. They're going to be fine despite losing Kenny McIntosh. Same thing with the offensive line. You know, the transition from uh, Monk into Bobo, and of course, anytime you have to replace a starting quarterback is interesting. But I mean, the defense looks pretty scary again to me on paper when some of those freshmen are making plays in the national championship game. So I am not worried one bit about right. Georgia's production going into the season. Uh, Auburn is the last one on this tier, in my opinion. Number nine, Auburn. Only three returning starters on offense. That's part of the issue. Uh, but a lot of production. Sixth in the SEC in terms of returning production, according to Connolly. 44th nationally. Uh, third in the conference overall in returning production because both you, me, Connolly, the metrics, the returning starters, they all say that Auburn's defense could be extremely salty. 11 total starters, eight on defense, 28th total production returning, third in the conference, 
third on defense, 38th nationally in defense. Um, I, I mean, if they can just figure, and we kind of trust Hugh Freeze to figure out some offense here, it feels like this is the is is this the the tier line for you? Like, is this where you draw a line and say everybody ab- above here has you know is kind of about the same, and you you lump Auburn in with? And again, we're not talking about how good they're going to be in wins and losses, but just in terms of experience and production coming back. Do you put Tennessee, Georgia, Kentucky, and you put Auburn in with that group as well? Yeah, I think so. I think a couple couple things about Auburn that stand out to me as we're getting ready to go to spring practice. I think you mentioned the quarterback situation. They didn't bring a transfer in uh, through the first window. Are they able to add anybody to the second one? Or do they just feel comfortable with Robbie Ashford and the other guys that they got? I think probably the best job of filling a significant need, maybe outside of Devin Leary, was what Auburn did along the line of scrimmage because they had a massive need to find starting offensive linemen and they could have three through the portal to come in and start. You look defensively, you know, they lost, you know, Derek Hall, Owen Popo, but they did add some guys to the portal that should be able to step in right away. So I think when you look at this team on paper, we know they should be pretty good at running back. They should be pretty good in the secondary. I think a lot of it's just going to come down to offensive line quarterback kind of passing game questions. Yeah, this is again experience in returning starters and returning production, portal production. This is not we're not ranking the best teams in the conference. We're not ranking the best rosters. We're not ranking the best coaches. This is just which this is sort of a state of the entire situation in terms of returning production. So number 10 on the list is Mississippi State. Seven on offense. Will Rogers has thrown a gazillion passes. Uh only four starters back on defense, but they're pretty good ones. Eleven total. 91st overall, however, by Bill Connolly and returning starters, 10th in the sec eighth and eighth on offense, but 13th on defense. Cause we're going to, we're going to let Steve Robertson do the work here and, and let him give us the na- analysis. But I'm, I was surprised to see Mississippi state at 118th in terms of their defensive returning production in the country and 13th in the sec. That's a surprising number to me. Uh, but, but again, I think they've got pieces ready to go that are going to fill in. I think the big question for that group is secondary. When you lose someone who was yeah. as good as Emmanuel Forbes was at cornerback, how quickly can you replace him and some guys at safety? You sort of have to trust Zach Arnett and that staff, I think, defensively, that they can do a lot of things with the with their alignments and scheme to probably cover up for some of those things. And, of course, they got a couple of super seniors back on that side of the ball. So I think defensively, yes, there are some questions. But I think Zach Arnett's probably going to be fine there. I think the bigger questions for this team is just offensive transition. You know, I I think I I don't really know what to expect from this team from an offensive perspective uh, until we get a better look at them this spring with the change of coordinator and some of the other pieces coming in. I'm so glad you asked, Stephen. So let's uh, hear from Steve Robertson from 24-7 Sports covering Mississippi State, who's going to give an answer to that exact question about what the Mississippi State Bulldog offense could look like, who Zach Arnett is as a head coach, the transition, how to evaluate this fr- this program, where the fan base is right now after going through an unprecedented tragedy. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk South Carolina, Florida, Arkansas, and Alabama, the last four on our list. Uh, but uh, for now, let's hear from Steve Robertson. Here was my conversation with uh, the Mississippi State Beat reporter. Steve, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you. How are you, sir? Man, I'm doing grand. Just uh, living La Vida Loca, you know. I mean, it's uh, that time of year. Spring football is around the corner. College baseball is here. I mean, we're playing meaningful basketball here in Starkville, uh, yeah. late February. That's, that's a nice uh, little adjustment. And uh, so, there's a lot to cheer for and a lot to cover. Uh, it's it's. Uh, I do find it interesting as a diehard college football junkie, 
but also like a guy who's been to Omaha a bunch to cover the College World Series, how much I enjoy the start of like SEC conference play in baseball. It's just so much fun. And of course, if you haven't had a chance to go down and catch a game uh, down there with uh, at Mississippi State, make, make sure you do so. It's a it's an absolute must uh, must visit location for you college baseball fans. Um, you guys have had obviously a, a a really wild and unprecedented, largely unprecedented, in the last eight ten months on the beat for Mississippi State football. Can you try to give a sense to everybody out there, like just what exactly the community is like right now when they when they think it, when they think about Mississippi State football and obviously the tragic passing of Mike Leach? Well, I mean, it's very promising in many respects and very positive. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, it's an unprecedented situation. I mean, how often does a sitting head coach pass away? I mean, it's just – and the fact that it was just so incredibly sudden. I mean, the night before Mike passed away, he was at a friend of mine's Christmas party. You know, I mean, he was just out having a good time. And, um, you know, the assistant coaches told me that Friday night they had official visitors in, and he was in a great mood and holding court and – you know, talking about uh, hunting and fishing with Isaac Smith and everything was great. And next morning he's gone. And and uh, I think we've kind of gotten over the shock of all of that now because the business of college football is never ending. I mean, you know, you don't have time to sit around and feel sorry for yourself. And uh, the administration made a decision to promote Zach Arnett from interim head coach to full-time head coach. He immediately prevents poaching of the roster. And there was widespread tampering, and which is disgusting considering the circumstances. Then he lands a top 25 recruiting class, goes out, wins the ball game, gets a top 20 finish, and puts together a great staff that uh, has got people thinking, you know what, this was absolutely the right decision. It wasn't just a matter of it was the right decision in the moment. I think long term, it appears to be the right decision. Do you have any sense on how to evaluate a, a pretty good record last year? I mean, like, do you have like a is there even is it even fair to evaluate? Like, you just laid out a lot of good positive things. And we'll get to where the roster is today as we head into 2023. Uh, you know, a lot of positives, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the quarterback position, et cetera. But, like, do, do you even know how to fairly uh, analyze and evaluate the 9-4 the and four record last year? Well, I think most people were pleased. I mean, you know, I think beginning of the year is like, hey, we went 7-5 and five last year and we lose the bowl game. And you lose the golden egg. And so you know, basically, Mississippi State fans, if, if you win the egg bowl, you're going to buy bowl tickets. If you lose the egg bowl, you're not going to the bowl game. And uh, so you end the year on a negative note. And then this year, you go eight and four, you get the egg back, you end up in the best pool of six Florida bowl game, not named the Florida Citrus, which is actually above the pool. And then you win that game. And so you end the year on a three game winning streak, you have possession of the golden egg. And you got top 20 finish. And so I think most people look back and say, you know what? Hey, we met and likely exceeded expectations, uh, but we certainly took a step forward as a program. And then you have this unprecedented situation. So then there's all this uncertainty. But the schedule lays out really well for Mississippi State this year. I mean, you have eight home games for the first time in school history, and all four of your road games appear to be toss-ups. And so, you know, if if this staff can come together, you can get everybody on the same page. It should be a really good year for Mississippi State football. Well, let's let's start on offense with uh, with Zach Arnett's choices. Um, Kevin Barbet, of course, on offense, you bring back Will Rogers. Um, you lose a couple of weapons, but that's to be expected in, in modern college football every single year. W where is this roster relative to each of Will Rogers' starting seasons? W what is this supporting cast, in your opinion, projected to look like around him relative to each of the last two or three seasons? 
Well, I think it's the best. I mean, you return four or five starters in the offensive line. Uh, your number two center, Stephen Lasoya, got a lot of snaps last year, and he's a transfer from Middle Tennessee State. They recruited him as a right tackle. He ended up being a starting left guard and then worked some at center when uh, Sharp was out and, and did a good job. I think in many respects they feel like they've kind of found the diamond in the rough with him because he's a little bit of a uh, you know Swiss Army knife, I guess you could say, in some respects. But and the line is good. I mean, you lose Ra-Ra Thomas. That's a huge loss. Anybody to suggest otherwise just being disingenuous and – he goes to the University of Georgia where they won back-to-back national championships. And so that's kind of the neighborhood in which we live. You lose Dylan Johnson to Washington, but you know, I think that they've addressed that need pretty well. You bring in Jeffrey Pittman, who was the number one junior college running back in the country. Woody Marks returns, and I think Woody is a guy that really benefits from the change in offensive philosophy. They're going to run the football a little bit more. I mean, Zach would like to have a little more balance. But I asked him in a press conference setting – you know, kind of blowing off the offense. They didn't retain a single offensive coach, but he says that the elements of the passing game are going to mirror what they've done before. The Barbe, I mean, basically the same concepts they ran in the air raid. They're going to run a much similar uh, offense in that respect. They're just going to run the football a little bit more, and they're going to have some different, you know, they're not going to be 10 personnel all the time. They're going to have some different formations, and they're going to employ the use of the tight end. That was something they were actually kind of trending towards last year anyway. And so now you go out and uh, you've addressed that. You get Rylan Godet from um, Georgia, and uh, he comes in immediately as TE1 because you don't have any on the roster. Now you're working the portal, and uh, they got Malik Ellis, who was a four-star offensive tackle, kind of in the same vein as Charles Cross, and uh, needs to bulk up. But I think this spring he will take a shot at tight end. Maybe he's a black and tight end. And he kind of benefits in the fact, too, that, they're splitting up the offensive coaching uh, responsibilities on the line. So you have an interior O-line coach, and then you have a tight ends and tackles coach. So, so he will learn the same concepts and the same lingo under the same coach. And so I think he could be that attached blocking type tight end and then next year make the slide in its uh, offensive tackle. But uh, a lot of skill around Will Rogers, and, you know, I think, a little balance. When you look back at last year, the games at Mississippi State really did a good job were the games they were successful in running the football, uh, you know, 100-plus yards a game. I think if you're able to do that this year and you've got Woody Marks certainly capable of, uh, of carrying the mail for you, I think this is a team that is capable of building on last year's success. Of course, there'll be some growing pains with a new staff, but if they can get a good spring under their belts, I expect this to be a very good season for Mississippi State. Defensively, I think those of us who have watched, even at a distance, kind of knew Zach Arnett as this name to watch in the defensive coordinating circles and the job he did with that defense over the last few years, pretty solid. He's going to lose, of course, an elite corner, but a lot of guys coming back that had opportunities to leave for a lot of different you know, opportunities. Um, is the scheme going to stay? Is he, is, he, is he married to now that he's a head coach? And he has a lot more on his plate. It's a different responsibility than being a, a defensive coordinator and a play caller. Like how how much does he let go, and how much does the scheme change? Are we still looking at the sort of that that three three five that we know he likes? Like what what changes with his role now that now that he's in a different position? Well, it'll still have his his fingerprints on it, and uh, you know, he wants to run the three three five, and he elevated Matt Brock from linebackers coach to defensive coordinator, and Matt actually called the plays in the bowl game. I mean, Zach signaled them in, but Matt did the calling, and he didn't reveal that until after the game, and I think that says a lot about Zach. If things hadn't gone well, Zach would have disowned it, wore it himself, and said it was his responsibility. 
that's the kind of guy he is. He's never a guy that's going to throw somebody else under the bus, but he was really quick to praise Matt Brock because things went exceptionally well. You had a season high in sacks. Uh, Illinois quarterbacks were running for their life the entire ball game. Very disruptive. So, yeah, don't look for that to change. If anything, I think it might be a little more blitz-happy than it has been just because of the fact you returned so much experience, you know, on that front six. Now, they had to kind of revamp the secondary. They hit the transfer portal really hard. They do have some guys back. The Camryon Richardson, we believe, is the next great Bulldog corner. I mean, you had Martin Emerson, of course, now with the Cleveland Browns. Emmanuel Forbes expected to get a first or second round type grade. DCAM looks to be the next guy. So that gives you, I guess, some security of knowing, you know what, hey, we, we can shut down one side of the field you know, with a guy that we think is an NFL prospect. And then Marcus Banks is a guy that uh, transferred over from Alabama, worked second team last year. Uh, could make a move to safety some this year, but uh, the Bulldogs hit the portal hard. I think that's really the biggest question mark on the entire team is how can you mesh all these new talents and personalities together in that secondary and have a cohesive secondary? Like every other coach in college football is trying to figure out how, how do we mesh the recruiting and portal together almost at all times now. Um, Personality-wise, d- describe Zach Arnett to people that haven't been around the program that don't know, like, uh, obviously there's clearly from the outside looking in, the assumption is that this is a continuity play, uh, a, a short-term play. But you've already alluded to that this could be, uh, you know, again, I, I would argue he's, it might have been a little early for him, but he's always kind of been on this trajectory. So what is Zach Arnett like? Just what what makes him um, personality-wise, specifically a head coach? Like what, what makes him different? Well, he's a no-nonsense guy. You know, I mean, I think when you look at the guys that are ultra successful in college football, they're kind of uncompromising when it comes to accountability. And that's who Zach is. I mean, Zach is a guy that went to New Mexico to play baseball. And then he gets there and he decides, hey, I'm going to give this football thing a try. He ends up walking, (laughs) earns a scholarship, ends up being an incredible player there. Rocky Long loves him so much. When he's done playing, he brings him as a GA, goes to San Diego State, becomes a defensive coordinator. And when Mike Leach got the job at Mississippi State, he wanted to hire Rocky Long. You know, Rocky talked about retiring, and Rocky's like, hey, I'm not interested in doing that. However, let me recommend Zach Arnett. And uh, there's a big, you know, I don't know if legend is the right word for it, but there's a lot of discussion in Mike Leach's office. He had a sticky note on his computer that said, when in doubt, trust Zach. And uh, that says a lot about Zach Arnett. But, you know, Zach's a guy from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, my wife has been working out there for the better part of seven months. So I spent some time in Albuquerque and I can see why Zach is maybe a little bit edgy, you know, after being out there. It's it's a different dynamic out there. It's not to say bad or indifferent, right? I mean, it's not to be <laughs> right. critical. But, but in the Southeast, you know, people are more hospitable, I guess you'd say, you know, like around here, everybody opens doors for you and wants you to go home and eat dinner with them. It's not like that in Albuquerque. And so I can see the attraction you know, Zach Arnett grows up around here and comes here and everybody is inviting him to go fishing and hunting and things like that. I mean, why would I ever leave, right? But Zach has been incredibly grateful to this Mississippi State administration that has given him the opportunity. And as a defensive coordinator, we believe he signed a contract with the highest buyout of an assistant coach in the country. That says a lot about his commitment to Mississippi State. He did not plan to leave here. And I think that's one of the reasons after year one, you didn't hear his name mentioned in connection with a lot of D.C. jobs because it's going to cost him about $2 million to hire him. And most people just aren't willing to write that check. But Mississippi State, in many respects, while it was never an official designation, saw Zach Arnett as kind of a de facto coach in waiting. And you're right, it's probably a year or two earlier than many people anticipated. But Zach Arnett is exactly where he was expected to be. 
from from like a I don't know how to I don't even know what the right words are for this because you had the whole Lane Kiffin saga going on with Ole Miss and Auburn's hiring Hugh Freeze and you know Alabama's not not winning the division and obviously again unprecedented situation at Mississippi State like it, it seems like the the program the team has a there's a lot of optimism around this particular roster moving into 2023 but it feels like because there's so much other stuff around them in the West, oh, Texas and Oklahoma are coming. You know what I mean? Like there's so much other thing that sucks up all the oxygen. How do the fans like, how do they feel about their program right now? And what are expectations within the fan base inside the, the Mississippi state community? Well, there's a lot of optimism. I think a lot of it is you, you look at what's happened so far. What is Zach Arnett's body of work since he became the head coach? And he has posted win after win after win. And I don't just mean on the field. I mean, you're hiring the right people, uh, committing himself to really re- a Mississippi recruiting first you know, mentality. You know, we're not trying to go have a national recruiting footprint here. We're trying to, to recruit our home base in the border states. Those guys typically don't transfer. You know, those guys come in, they don't get homesick. I mean, when you start go recruiting the eastern seaboard and it sounds great, it's like, hey, you know, we Come down to the SEC. We play a great brand of football. We got a lot of hot women down here. Come on down here. But then at the end of the day, we a long way from home, you know. Yeah. And so those guys typically transfer home. And, and it's so funny, too, when I interview recruits when they're juniors. In the beginning, they're like, hey, I'll go anywhere in the country to play. I just want an opportunity. And I'm sure they mean that. And then in the end, they pick State or Ole Miss, and they say, well, you know, it's close to home. You know, so it's like over the course of the process, your value system kind of changes a little bit. But uh, – now, the reality of it is, is I think Zach is just, if you look at what he's done and decisions he's made so far, it shows that he was ready for this job. Now, again, it may be a little bit premature. There may be some growing pains in year one, but I think the schedule provides a little bit of grace because you do have those eight home games and you're not traveling to Tuscaloosa. And you're not traveling to Baton Rouge. Uh, you do have to travel to the college station, but State's had great success there since they and him joined the league. And yeah, But here's the deal, and, and there's no getting around this. And this may ruffle some feathers, and I don't really care. Uh, there are a lot of people that cover college football that don't know college football. <laughs> and so they're going to defaultly pick Mississippi State, seventh in the West, and forget the fact that what you have coming back. It's like, oh, well, there's a coaching change. Well, these same people hated on Mike Leach. We never gave Mike Leach any credit for being a great coach at Mississippi State. So now you're going to say, now that he's gone, they're going to be able to a worse program. Mississippi State will finish in the top half of the SEC West this year, just like they did last year. And they're going to be a better team this year. They're going to be a better team with a better schedule. And and I suspect they're going to beat somebody that people aren't expecting. I think Mississippi State will ultimately decide who wins the West. I'm not picking State to win the West. But State is going to pick off a contender for the SEC West. They will ultimately decide that race on who goes to Atlanta. And you you can come back and quote me on that in November. Because I'm (laughs) telling you, Zach will pick off somebody that people are not expecting. Well, and and, uh, while South Carolina and Kentucky – Normally, you would love that tandem. Um, obviously, they're a little bit better than than they than they normally are, but that's still a very manageable crossover. The non conference schedule is is very manageable. Uh, when we when we expand to, to Texas and Oklahoma, w- obviously the Egg Bowl is un- unquestioned. It's protected by the SEC, and we go to a three. We're going to. A, I'm telling you now, we're going to a three and six rivalry, uh, three and six scheduling model. Who are the other two games? that Mississippi State fans want. They've played Kentucky every year since 92, but that doesn't feel all that natural. Some games are just going to get lost in the shuffle kind of organically. But what 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 would their priorities be uh, knowing that the Egg Bowl is you know unquestionably protected 
What are the other two that Mississippi State fans would want to have on their schedule every single year? Yeah, I, I know people like the Kentucky permanent thing, but there's not a Bulldog to travel to Lexington. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, yeah it's been it, – and, and since that Kentucky has joined the league, I mean, excuse me, since the league expanded back in 92, it's been pretty much 50-50, right? I mean, and then granted, Coach Stoops done a good job at Kentucky. Uh, Dan Mullen dominated Kentucky. And then Stoops finally kind of got over the hump in the last couple of years. You know, he's beaten Jim Moore. They've been really good at home. State has had a really tough time at Kroger Field. And it's, it's, a, a, fun it's a lot of fun games, too, like between those two. Like it's been oh, absolutely. very, absolutely. very, yeah. And even the 2016 game, you know, Mississippi State scores in the final two minutes and the Kentucky kicks a 53-yard field goal to win it. It's been pandemonium. But I don't think there's anybody that has any emotional attachment to that. I think deep down people would love to continue to play Arkansas. Um, Arkansas and Mississippi State are both crazy about baseball. And so Arkansas fans travel here for baseball and Bulldog fans travel there for baseball. And so I think there is this banter, and, and sometimes it gets a little bit heated, but there's a respect between the two programs that I think people appreciate. And Arkansas is really a lot closer from a cultural standpoint to Mississippi State, maybe some other programs are. And I think that banner is really good for the rivalry. And this may come as a bit of a surprise, but I think Auburn. I think Auburn being a land-grant school, there are a lot of people in the conference who think that's their favorite road trip within the West. Uh, the fan bases are very similar from a value and culture standpoint. And so if, if State got Auburn, Arkansas, and Ole Miss, I think they'd feel like they ran away with it. You know, uh, the flip side of it is, is I think they're going to give give you somebody in the East. I think they're, they're going to yeah. be somebody just for TV or whatever. And so maybe that ends up still be, being Kentucky. But um, I just don't know. Kentucky fans don't typically travel down here. They do for basketball, but they won't come for, uh, for football. But, uh, you know, I don't think that anybody at this point is going to be upset as long as we get out of playing Alabama every single year. <laughs> you know, that, that, that people don't understand state and Alabama have played each other more than anybody in the Southeastern conference. And so uh, if you don't have to play Alabama every year, that's what's so interesting too. And I'm going to talk about this Kentucky thing just for a second. You know, some people off oh, Kentucky's turned it around. Kentucky's done this. And that's not in any way to be critical of Mark Stoops. But they don't have to march into College Station, Texas every year. They don't have to go over and play uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium every other year. They don't have to go to Tiger Stadium every other year. I mean, people say, well, you know, State and Kentucky are kind of comparable programs. And then there are some people in the SEC media that will suggest Kentucky is superior, even though the numbers don't reflect that. But look at the quality of opponent that Mississippi State has to play every single year by being in the West. And the fact that Kentucky can play South Carolina and Vanderbilt and Missouri every single year. Mississippi State people would trade that schedule in a heartbeat every single year. And so, again, no disrespect to Kentucky, but their road to respectability has been a lot easier than that of Mississippi State. Well, and what's but, interesting, it's it's also not like, I, I don't know about you, but you've covered this league a long time. I've covered this league a long time. I, I can't remember more stability and strength around the big dogs right now being Bama and Georgia, of course. I can't remember a, a, a greater collection of coaches and stability around those two premier programs in, in terms of depth, may, maybe ever in the conference. I, I don't know, unless I'm, unless I'm missing a, a, a generation. Uh, I don't know about what, what you think about that. Well, and I, I think, I think you can start putting LSU back in that category too. You know, I think Brian Kelly will do a great job at LSU. Um, I think Auburn is going to be better under Hugh Freeze. Uh, it's such an unforgiving league though. You know, it's yeah. like if, if you're Auburn and if you ever get down, 
you know, and, and we'll see what happens with Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas is better. Mississippi State's better. Ole Miss is better. And so it's a much tougher hill to climb than it used to be. It used to, all you had to do, we all worry about was Alabama and Auburn. Well, now you don't. Now A&M's in the league and LSU's become a national power. I mean, they win an Apple championship in 03 for the first time since 51. And they're consistently, they win the West last year, right? Nobody expected that. They win the West in year one of Brian Kelly. And I think another interesting aspect of this too, I don't know that anybody enters the season on the hot seat. And, and I don't know how many years we've been able to say that. I mean, you know, what program you look at right now, okay, well, that job is definitely going to be open. Now, maybe Drinkwitz at Missouri, where they just signed him to a big extension. I don't know what that buyout looks like, but, you know, they got better down the stretch last year. And, uh, you know, I, I still think that he's going to do a good job there. I mean, does he contend in the East? Uh, you know, I don't know. But, uh, but the reality of it is I don't think you go into – unless there's a coaching change where somebody just opts and leaves for another job. I don't know that we have the crazy season in the SEC this year. I mean, barring some scandal that's unforeseen. Right. It, it, I mean, I can't see Sam going anywhere. I know that they had a disappointing year last year because KJ was injured. Now you've got to replace Kendall Browse. And so that'll be an interesting situation to watch because there are a lot of people at Arkansas that think they should be Alabama. Um, you know, they're not, they've got the budget obviously, but uh, I think, I think Sam is okay, but, I think it could be a very boring and uh, maybe relieving postseason because I don't think there's going to there may not be anybody change jobs this year. Well, and, and last year, uh, the, the weirdest feeling going into media days where I was like, I think all 14 of these teams are happy right now. Like, I don't know. It's like two years in a row where everybody is sort of happy with where they are. And that's just a it, it means that probably something crazy is going to happen. So who who knows? Um, you guys have obviously dealt with a lot of craziness on the beat down there at Mississippi State. And uh uh, we do appreciate your time, man. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking with us and uh, appreciate your time. Thank you, dude. Take care. That was Steve Robertson of 24-7 Sports, of course, covering your Mississippi State Bulldogs. And he kind of answers your question there, Stephen, with, you know, you've got a quarterback who's in Will Rogers who's been around a long time. You've got really nice weapons around him. Again, um, seven returning starters on offense for Mississippi State here. I trust Arnett and the defense to be pretty solid in the front seven, but really what does the scheme look like as you asked? And it said, and as he said, it's going to be a lot of Mike Leach's stuff, a lot of the air raid, a lot of Will Rogers stuff that's key, he's comfortable with. But if you mix in a little bit more balance with Barbe, the, the coordinator, I, I do think that is an intriguing possibility for Mississippi state. And that schedule's pretty easy too. <laughs> I, I think this, that call to, to sort of not transition away but make a kind of a soft like shift is probably the right call given that you have such an experienced mm -hmm. core coming back like Zach Arnett in the future may want to say hey we've got to get better like 50 50 but this year if you just do you know I don't know what the numbers is but like 60 40 65 35 like you might have a little bit better offense but I, I like I think Will Rogers is one of the top you know quarterbacks in the SEC returning of course and finding receivers and running backs and an offensive lineman shouldn't be a problem so I, that formula is probably the right call for Zach Arnett going into this year. All right, number 11 on the list here as we, we wrap up the, the most experienced teams heading into the spring in the SEC. South Carolina, six returning starters on offense, four on defense, 10 total. Uh, that is ahead of only Arkansas and Alabama in the conference. Uh, 102nd in the nation in returning production, 11th in the SEC. That's 76th in the nation on offense and 113th on defense. And South Carolina, once again, I just every time I look at this team, I just don't know what I'm looking at. And yet they figure out ways to win special teams, Beamer ball, whatever you want to call it, attitude, 
you know, that it factor identity culture, blah, 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 blah. Like they're 11th on this list. I think that's right. They're, they're not returning a ton of starting talent. They do have Spencer Rattler coming back. I don't love Dow Loggins, but I, they somehow keep figuring out ways to overachieve. So I don't know what to make of this team. Yeah, I, I know I've mentioned this to you before, but I think it's worth mentioning again that the last two years under Shane Beamer, they have exceeded our preseason expectations. They just keep finding a way yep. to do it. And I, like you, I have serious doubts about the Dow Loggins hire working out. Now, if they can figure out what worked in the last couple games of the season for Spencer Rattler that clicked and build on that, they're going to be in good shape because Juice Wells is also back at receiver, one of the top receivers coming back in the SEC. Got a decent foundation along the offensive line coming back too. I think that's a group overall that they still need improvement out of. What worries me if I'm South Carolina is when you look at like defensive end, they've had some losses through NFL, through transfers. They're kind of thin on that spot. They also lost a couple linebackers. Cam Smith went to the NFL too. So I logins Rattler, how that works out is going to be interesting, but I do think that some of the defensive concerns are probably just as significant for South Carolina too. Yeah. Uh, again, 113th in returning production on defense. That's 12th in the conference. Rattler's fascinating because if you take out the Vanderbilt and Tennessee game, which was nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, he only threw nine touchdowns in the other 11 games and 12 interceptions. And people are like, you know, Gamecock fans, I love you guys, but you're like, oh, well, yeah, if you take out the guy's best two games, of course he's not as good. I'm like, yeah, but the other 11 games were very, very below average, for lack of a better term, on average. Again, nine touchdown passes in 11 games is hard to do if you're starting in college football and you have that kind of talent. So I think not, if if we graded Spencer Rattler at like before November, I think a lot of people would have been. Yeah. Probably, you know, maybe disappointed in the way that he had played so far. Well, and like, not, maybe, maybe not all of his fault, I should say, though. Yeah. And like my my take on Joe Milton has been like, I need to see it before I believe it. But like, it's it, it's very conceivable that Spencer Rattler has his best season as a player this year. Same with Joe Milton. Same with Jaden Daniels, like guys who who get to this point of their career. Uh, Graham Mertz, we're about to talk about Florida, like Graham Mertz could absolutely have the best season of his career in 2023. And that changes the way we perceive some of these quarterbacks. But like, again, I need to see it consistently from Rattler, from Milton, from Merch, from these guys before I start saying like, all right, he's a top five player in this league at that position. They're just, I don't think that's the case for, for Joe Milton or for Spencer Rattler yet. Speaking although, of the game. Although Spencer Rattler might be a top five quarterback, given that the whole league is in transition for this season. Just something <laughs> to think about when, it, you, when it, you get ready to your all SEC voting. It, well, I, I have him at like seven or eight in the conference behind like, uh, because I think whoever, who, Ty Simpson and Carson Beck, should they win the jobs? Like if Spencer Rattler was at Alabama and Georgia, which I know is not fair, but if he was at Alabama or Georgia, he would look a lot better, I feel like. But maybe that, maybe that's not fair. So who knows? Um, number, tw number 12, Florida, six returning starters on offense, four on defense, 10 total, um, 107th in the nation in returning production. That's 13th in the conference, 103rd on offense, 91st on defense, not great either side of the ball, 55 production, 55% production on offense, 51% on defense. You know, a lot of questions about this Florida team, and I think another six and six years probably pretty possible for this Gator squad. Let's go back, like, let's just say, like, 10 years ago or so. If I told you that Florida had 10 returning starters, you would probably tell me you weren't worried one bit, right? I think that's fair to say. If, that if you said six returning starters on offense, I'd be like, oh, okay, that, they're probably pretty good on offense. I think the, the point, the kind of takeaway that I have after looking at Florida kind of is before we go into the spring, 
in the past, we would say they lose all these players, but it's still Florida. They're still going to be very good. And I think when you look at this roster coming back this season, to your point, it is still going to be another rebuilding year, I think, at Florida. I just think that the talent on the roster has dropped off. It's going to take another recruiting cycle or two to rebuild that. You can go across the board. I mean, defensively last year was one of the the years that I can remember Florida having fewer players in the mix for all SEC honors in the preseason, and it carried its way through the season. When you look going into this year, I mean, they lose somebody like Osiris Torrance, who is one of their best offensive linemen. A couple other guys are gone. They lost Anthony Richardson, of course. They just need more playmakers. Like Ricky Pearsall is great, but they need some guys at the two and three position to step up. So this to me, I think to your point, we're, we're setting, we're not setting expectations right now, but I think seven and five based upon schedule and returning production, uh, six and six would be a good year for Billy Napier. Number 13 on the list, Arkansas, only four returning starters on offense, four on defense, eight total. That's the fewest of any team in the SEC. One of them is KJ Jefferson, ranked 106th in the nation in returning production, just one spot ahead of Florida. That's 12th in the SEC. However, over 90 in both categories, 93rd on offense and 96 on defense. Who has more returning experience, Florida or Arkansas? Do you give the edge to, should we give the edge to Arkansas and put them at 12 because of KJ Jefferson? They're replacing both of their coach. You know, both coordinators are gone for Arkansas. That's a bigger loss. I maybe some continuity with Napier and the staff. Like what? How do you? Which which one has more experience in your mind at this stage? I would probably go Arkansas because if you okay. have one of the SEC's top quarterbacks and KJ Jefferson, and also you have Rocket Sanders coming back, you're starting off in a pretty good spot. Like the one-two punch of that makes me feel. Like even though okay. Arkansas's got a lot of questions, I mean they lose three starters on the offensive line. They've got a lot of questions on defense, but if you have a maybe first, second team All SEC quarterback come back, I think that counts for a couple spots. Okay, uh, I'll, I'm willing to move Arkansas up to 12 and move Florida down to 13. These are the big debates we have on the show. And again, before we talk about the last team, uh, all these awesome, cool hats here from University Traditions. Check them out. There's Vanderbilt. Uh, there's Tennessee. There's Florida. Uh, you got Georgia there. There's your Ole Miss hat. All kinds of cool stuff. Um, just the first, I, look at this. Look at this. I'm I'm so discombobulated here. I just spun my microphone around. Um, I might even say the second person. How about that? If you've listened all the way to here, the set the, the the first two people to just tell us the name of the producer, nickname or actual name, for the producer that used to run this show, Aaron's brother. Just tweet at Braden Gall or in the comment section on the YouTube page, and I will send you a University Traditions hat of your choosing. So cool stuff there. Which brings us to the last one. Uh, and make sure you check out Steven on Twitter at AthlonSteven, AthlonSports.com. Magazine's coming out sooner than Ath- than Steven would like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true, yes. <laughs> uh, I, listen, I don't. this is obviously not going to be the 14th best team in, in, in this conference, but I have never seen... Uh, when I look at returning starters from Athlon, package it with returning production metrics and put it together, I have never seen a team that is as inexperienced, apparently, on paper as Alabama is with two new coordinators. Alabama, four on offense returning, five on defense, nine total, ahead of only Arkansas, but 125th out of the 133 total overall ranking, 14th in the SEC, just 40% returning production. 120th in offensive returning production, dead last in the SEC, and 127th in defensive returning production, dead last in the SEC. Now, we know Bama's going to be better than that, but it means they got a lot of questions that they got to answer from now until kickoff. 
fair to say that this is one of the years where we've had more questions about Alabama. I, I think um, when you start kind of studying, like you mentioned on paper, I mean, they're going to be fine overall by the end of the season. They're going to either be in the playoff or probably just outside of it. But I do think there are more questions than maybe we're used to seeing out of an Alabama team, like the quarterback situation. We'll see how it plays out. I like the potential uh, for Ty Simpson. They've got some losses along the offensive line. Receiving uh, core kind of stepped up late in the year, but off and on kind of inconsistent. Yep. When you lose guys like Will Anderson, you lose a couple safeties to the NFL. You know, there's, there's some significant turnover and also with the coordinator changes. But, you know, I think in a very kind of broad sense, like, if you put Vanderbilt here at, at, with that same kind of production, we would be saying they might be two and 10 or three and nine. Right, this right. is a different story. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, you almost just have to like, it's Alabama, it's Nick Saban. They're going to be fine by the end of the year, even though they don't have a lot of production, but it also makes for probably one of the more interesting years in the West when you have Alabama losing all of that and LSU coming back as the defending West champion and bringing back a pretty good roster too. I think that's the story for Alabama is that we potentially, it's not, it's not about the dynasty being over. It's not about them being bad. It's about, they have, they have far like less experience than they've almost ever had at this stage of the calendar year than they've had in the last few seasons, at least since like, let's say 2017 when Dayball was the coordinator and Hertz was coming back and Tua was the backup and they win the national championship. But like to package it with AM being the most experienced potentially returning roster, with LSU being also one of the most returning experienced rosters, and a, a year of, of of actual you know proof of concept last season. And oh, by the way, Ole Miss is returning as much as they're returning. Tennessee on their schedule is better than Tennessee's been in recent memory. Like it's it all adds up, right? It's all about the entire picture and Georgia of too. Yeah, and then and then of I mean, course Georgia, Georgia potentially, but now they're not on the schedule. But like you know, in in, in Atlanta potentially, um, if you just look at their schedule though, just regular like Tennessee, Ole Miss, A and M, LSU, Auburn's going to be better than they were last year. Mississippi State's still pretty salty. We talked about them. Like there's just a lot there that they've got to deal with and answer internally as well as externally. So I, listen, I think Alabama is like ten and two again. I, I don't think that they're. I, I'm not, this is not some giant drop off, but I think to, there is no just like pencil them in at number one this year for the first time in a long time. That's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I think I had them at six in my very early top 25, which is like the Ooh. lowest that I can remember Alabama being in some time. Now that may change. I may put them in the playoff when we do the real thing <laughs> uh, here in a few months, but you know, it's almost like with Georgia, you just gave them the benefit of the doubt. They are losing a lot. They've now gotten the Alabama benefit of the doubt to be number one, despite all the losses just from what's happened the last couple of years. And just, right. I think more questions about Alabama uh, this year, obviously that means they will be like 15 and 0 at the end of the year and win the national championship. Yeah, of course. Uh, there you go. Texas A&M and Missouri and LSU and Ole Miss at the top tier. Then you've got Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and Georgia in that middle tier of experience. And then Mississippi State, South Carolina, Arkansas, Florida, Bama in that bottom tier of experience. And again, this is exclusively about returning starters, according to Athlon Sports, and some returning production, according to some statistical metrics. The most experienced and least experienced teams at this time of the year heading into spring practice. Steven, where can people find you, man? You can follow me on Twitter at Athlon Steven, and you can check out all my work at AthlonSports.com. And uh, you know what? Last final nugget of wisdom here. Experience kills, man. It does. Experience kills. Like, I know we like to pick on old people, but like experience and wisdom is important, especially in college athletics. 
having that experience really matters. And that's what we want to do. That's what we were trying to do today on the show. Get ready for those magazines, of course, uh, as well. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell me who you, who you think Aaron's brother is and his nicknames and or his nicknames. And we'll send you some cool gear from University Tradition. So check them out as well. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Check out the YouTube page as well. Thank you, Stephen, for hanging out. My name is Braden Gall. We'll talk to you guys next week. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network.